Good morning. This is Papa Tom with the Father's Heart Talk Show, bringing the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children with the fathers. And it's a very interesting thing about life that you meet certain people that are very relational. I find myself being relational in many ways. And um, every once in a while, that the magnetism connects me to different people. And we have a special guest with us today who is actually in a very unusual position of being head of HR of multiple companies in the Charlotte area. And he's a very relational guy. So I would like to introduce you to our special guest, Chris Riley. Chris, tell the audience a little bit about your background and and uh, how we got connected to each other. Yeah, yeah. well, I definitely appreciate, uh, Tom, you having me on. It's definitely an honor to be here to be able to kind of share with uh, with folks out there. And I definitely, um, so I think you and Janie jo- uh, started uh, in our small group at Elevation Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, you guys have definitely just been a blessing with just knowledge and wisdom and just charisma that you guys bring. So definitely uh, appreciative of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I've spent uh, the better part of, you know, 15 to 20 year career in different positions starting out in uh, sales operations, uh, then moving into HR. Uh, that was kind of a, a really where the path led me. Never wanted to be in HR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said I was going to start out as a, a, as a sales or an ops guy. Um, but uh, calling is calling. And I've worked in different organizations from Best Buy most of my career to Goodyear to a lot of other different organizations in between. Um, then I got into ministry, you know, mm-hmm. felt called uh, to be in vocational ministry um, in 2007, 2008. And that kind of led me on a path that ended up uh, leading me into uh, being in, in a, on staff at Elevation Church. So mm-hmm. great move of God that's happening in North Carolina, still happening. Um, but if you would have told me that was where I was going to end up as an associate campus pastor in that role. Um, and then I ended up transitioning out and uh, went back into uh, the the... the the business corporate world, um, because I felt that ministry sometimes doesn't mean that you need to be, you know, behind a pulpit or on staff at a church. Um, ministry is where you're at. Um, and so uh, HR allows me to kind of be the hands and feet behind behind enemy lines in the secular, you know, kind of mm-hmm. space, being able to kind of do that. So. It would seem to me in today's world with where corporate mentality is on many different things, um, that there's going to be a lot of conflict developing in the HR space for uh, philosophies that are anti-biblical. Yes. And in a very yes. real sense, religion aside, just talking about life yep. and talking about uh, biblical principles about mm-hmm. life. Yep. Uh, all the issues that come up in terms of, uh, you know, in the schools, they have critical race theory, but let's get into, into the... Uh, the world where you have all these advertisers like um, Budweiser and so forth yep. bringing out these different woke uh, philosophies of life that are anti-biblical. Mm-hmm. And here you are in HR, right, yep. having to deal with those issues. To one of the most arguably politically correct business functions, right, in, right. in corporate America. Um, the role of anybody in people resources is to really be able to uh, provide a voice to those that don't have one. Mm-hmm. And that means uh, you're dealing with all different types of, of political ideologies, philosophies in the workplace. Um, I typically get accused in the workplace of being, uh, uh, they don't, they can't figure out, uh, am I, you know, liberal, progressive? Am I, am I conservative? And mm-hmm. um, I typically tend to try to really present myself as somebody who is uh, progressively conservative, if there's even mm-hmm. such a thing as that, you know? Um, and because I think that the the best example of that was Christ. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus was not politically correct, Mm -hmm. um, but he was culturally relevant. Mm -hmm. And he didn't dilute the gospel and and who he was trying to reach and where he was called to go um, at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But he wasn't politically correct. He he was very controversial in his day. Um, So I think that we have a a, a responsibility behind enemy lines to Mm -hmm. um, be culturally relevant. Um, um, but to make sure that we don't water down timeless truth, which is the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. So behind the workplace, if I'm dealing with a, a leader that is is kind of maybe in a different point of view, it says, I don't understand why um, we have to embrace this terminology, you know, that we might want to use uh, mm-hmm. in a particular employee work group. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to let people know is we want to make sure that we meet people where they're at. Right? Yeah, that's a very important thing. I mean... Some people would hope that someone who is in HR would be representing the employee, mm-hmm. and yet you have a role to uh, represent the employer. And so there's, right. there's a dynamic goes on back and forth. And most people I've met in HR, in order to keep their jobs, yep. represent the employer yep. against the issues, That's right. the best interest of the employee. So how would you take that? Yeah, so I think that there's a, in, in when you talk about that role, right, my role mm-hmm. is to protect uh, profits. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm in a, no, a profit situation or if I'm in a nonprofit, it's different. But at the end of the day, you're right. It's uh, to protect the organization, um, including all of its assets, uh, mm-hmm. which is most important asset, in my opinion, is people. Yeah. It's the biggest human expense, resource, you, right? you know, uh, and um, but also uh, my point of view on how we're supposed to really make sure that we balance that is so you know paul tells us um in in romans that we're to submit to the governing authorities that god puts before us right mm-hmm. um so there's that piece of it and that's where i kind of look at my what we do in the hr is um that's where i'm to protect the organization right mm-hmm. i have to submit to the governing authority that puts before me but then we're also called to make sure that we're called to be the shepherd of the flock as well what mm-hmm. no matter where we're at I don't think that those two are opposed to one another. I, I don't think that they're individually exclusive. I think they're mutually beneficial. That's the unique ability to be able to manage that. It's a tension that you manage. Mm-hmm. It's not a problem that you solve. Right. It's a tension that you manage every day. And my default is always to make sure that I'm pushing on leaders to think through the lens of the person of what we're about to do. Should we do this? Is it the right thing to do? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm going to submit to my leader if, if, if they make a decision that I don't agree with because my role is to advise and counsel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's always going to be pointed using um, Christ as my compass that points and navigates every one of those conversations in the workplace. You know, in the Father's heart, talk show, we always bring out that it's always in the Father's heart to want to protect, yeah, provide, mm-hmm. and to mentor or to teach. And you could do it at three different levels. One is the to help the individual with that. Yep. But yep. also to be advising the, the the corporation. I mean, the pushback you can give the corporation uh, to say to the corporate leader, your leaders, you know, the people who are uh, basically directing you, yep. say, shouldn't yep. we be providing, protecting, and uh, mentoring our, our employees? Because yep. if we have that philosophy, right, we're going to end up with a much better employee, much more productive employee, absolutely, and, and therefore much better for the whole organization. Yep. You know, when I was in the financial advising world years ago, we did some, I used to attend some studies that management consultants did, and they said, um, after, if a business was a family owned or a private practice, a private company, 
um, even, even if it was a private company, companies that had philosophies, patriarchal philosophies, that wanted to protect, provide, and teach their employees, mm -hmm. and saw their uh, employees basically as their work family, they would, they would flourish, after, and they would be the most successful ones after a 20, 25-year period. So um, these, this, this is a philosophy that not only is biblical, but the biblical thing is the truth, and the truth is the one that lasts and goes, goes forward with you. Absolutely. So with that in mind, we're actually going to uh, be, I'm actually going to be looking for family-owned businesses that we can help in different ways. I've uh, been researching some things. We can get up to these uh, employee retention tax credits, and these will be variable for family-owned businesses. I'm searching uh, the local area and even beyond the local area for family-owned businesses, uh, franchises that have, have eggs up. Grill was going to be one of them. And uh, Schumacher, Schumacher Homes another one I've been spending some time with. And I'm just canvassing the local area to find people with these, with these philosophies. Because the world mm -hmm. is going to teach you against the philosophy. That's right. And against these value systems. Yeah. Uh, but these value systems are foundational. And they are foundational for success for anyone who will have them. So I hope you're enjoying the uh, Father's Hour Talk Show. We'll be back in another minute. All right. Yeah, so we have with us today Chris Riley, and um, we're going to discuss how he was affected in his life by his father. And, uh, you know, I was making me, causing me to think about some things happening myself as a father, because I'm the oldest of eight children in my own natural family, and I'm the, old, I'm the father of six children. And I realized before I had a child that I didn't know how to love them. And so I really had to take them in a little snugly when I was my little. Uh, son, my firstborn son Isaac was—he um, couldn't—he wasn't walking, so he's got to be like a month or two old. And I'm walking around outside our house, and I was talking to the Lord about it. And Father, teach me how to love him. How do I love him? Because I've seen too many fathers yep. would name their children after themselves, and they would always be conditional love. Hey, you do what I tell you to do, and then I'm going to love you. But if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm not going to love you. And I knew that wasn't right, but I didn't know how else to handle it. And so I was asking the Lord to give me his love for my son and to teach me how to love him unconditionally. But what was your experience with your dad? Well, I am the only child raised by uh, uh, my parents, my mother, uh, and my stepfather. My mm -hmm. stepfather came into my life when I was, you know, four, five, six years old, mm -hmm. and, and my mother came over to this country from Japan when she was 19 years old. Um, and after maybe two years, three years at best, um, she found herself uh, having to make a tough decision to go through a divorce. Mm. Um, so real dad was not in the picture. Um, the only memory I have of my real dad is uh, a couple faint images because he left when I was like four, four years old, five years old, I think, if memory serves. And um, the, the, the one image that I remember having, which I, looking back on it now, I realize it was sort of that flashpoint that was the catalyst of my mom having to make a very tough decision to walk away, mm. um, is we were at a, uh, I went and had booster shots when I was a kid, you know, that every kid dreads. And I remember going to this swimming pool party afterwards, and I can't remember who it was or where it was, but I remember that it was a lot of people and uh, my dad was uh, standing inside the house uh, as I kind of came in from the swimming pool and he was uh, leaning up against the banister 
with a, 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 a woman in a, in a very thin bikini that wasn't my mother. And I remember um, he was, you know, kissing uh, this other woman. And I remember I was, you know, so little to not even understand or know what it was. And then uh, I ended up going home, you know, uh, later and saying, hey, mommy, I saw dad with this. You said that to your mom. Uh -huh. And then uh, shortly after he was gone. Yeah. Um, so... So your I, mother was Japanese. Was your father also Japanese? He was American. American yep, yeah. yep, American. Yep, and um, so yeah, that was kind of my memory um, of that. But uh, you know, instead of internalizing that, that you know, oh, I'm the reason that you know, dad and mom separated. And when I got older, I realized that there was a lot of other issues that were happening, you know, in that marriage, mm -hmm. and that my mother and father were plowing through. And that was just the flashpoint where my sure. mother said, "Hey." I don't want my child to be uh, from a broken home, but it's better for my child to be uh, out of a broken home than in one. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that was, you know, my earliest. But then probably a couple of years after that, um, you know, my stepdad entered the picture and... So your mother remarried again. Yes. Great man of God. Uh, loved, the, loved the Lord. Um, just good man, man of honor, man who was kind of... A man says what he means, what he says, and says what he means, and his handshake is his word. Um, so he came into the picture, and that's who's been my dad my whole life, you know, growing up. Were there other siblings in your family with uh, your stepdad? Uh, no, he no, he had, didn't have any kids, uh, but both uh, him and my mother came from big families. So mm -hmm. my mom and my family in Japan, my mother is, is one of, of four. Uh, out of uh, her sisters that all still live out in Japan, all of my aunts, and then on uh, my dad's side, you know. So you were an only child. I was an only child. Yeah. Yep, I was an only child. Yeah. And the stepfather filled the role of being a, a true dad to you. Yeah, and and to this day, he never had children of his own. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm the only child he's ever had, um, mm -hmm. and he's the only father that I even you know can't even remember anybody else. What um, kind of teaching or training do you think he gave you? that enabled you to become the father you you have several children yourself now. I do yeah we have a 25 a 26 year old uh, an 11 year old and a 9 year old yeah right. uh, what was the training boys. your dad gave you all three of the boys all three are boys yeah. uh you know my dad Gary he is uh growing up you know he was out of his he comes from a family of four as well uh he has a brother and two sisters um, and uh, four, including himself, and uh, he was—he's the oldest, but he was kind of affectionately labeled in the family, oh, the Boy Scout. He was the 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 one that was an altar boy, and so if you're in the Roman Catholic Church, the altar boy was like that's what everybody wanted to be. That means, I was an altar boy. That means you were the goody goodiest <laughs> of the goody goody, you know, and you were the 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 the, the, the priest's favorite, that kind of thing. So, yeah, he was a, a very very much uh, a person who was uh, in tune with uh, his belief um, in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, very much a believer of God. My mother is a Southern Baptist Japanese woman who gave her life to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. Mm. Uh, so, yep, that's kind of uh, growing up. So you have Southern Baptist and Roman Catholic <laughs> growing up. But uh, he was big on, he taught me about honor and you say what you mean and mean what you say. And um, real men protect, they provide, they prepare, they equip. Um, mm -hmm. So he was definitely uh, 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 an incredible role model to this day. Yeah. You know, I've often seen in Scripture that is God, the Father, through natural fathers or stepfathers, uh, actually help their children find their identity. And it starts with giving them their name mm -hmm. and then nurturing their name and uh, not only their name, but nurturing them in, in other ways 
to identify what their calling and destiny is. Yep. Uh, yep. Could you share a little bit what your dad said to you or helped you in bringing that out of you? I think that it starts with my mother. Um, my mother, uh, my family in Japan is a very, you know, very, uh, there's a, a steep tradition in the, in the Japanese side of our family that mm. goes back, way back to earliest Japan, very much. Um, I was raised with a mother who was big on, you know, the way of the warrior, a person of honor. Samurai? But in, yeah, but mm-hmm. a samurai warrior, but in Christ, right? Yeah. Um, so she, when she named me Christopher, right, uh, Christ bearer, protector of Christ, mm-hmm. she connected that to the culture that she came from, the culture that she tried to help impart mm-hmm. to me, but rooted in, 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 in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now you fast forward and put my dad Gary into the picture, um, and so he really kind of synergized off that, and mm-hmm. he stayed true to that. That hey, this is this is who you are. This is you know the kind of man that you want to be. Um, you want to be a man that follows God, that doesn't that, that chases God, that you know stands up for what's right. And both uh, of them were big on do what's right, even when it's not popular. Um, you will take hits for doing what's right, mm-hmm. um, and also to make sure that you're a person of honor. That was probably the one thing that they both were very, very big on, is being a person of honor. You that know? would come across to me very much in a true warrior position, uh, philosophy or background, particularly a samurai warrior, the aspect of honor. And mm-hmm. honor can be misunderstood. Absolutely. Uh, but if it's understood properly, yep. right, it, it brings people to higher levels of, you know, uh, I guess their their behavior, if I might write it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I mean, if you look at the Bible, the word um, in in society now, it's all about respect. You respect me, but if you disrespect me, then I don't give you respect back. So, respect is 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 current is currency that's rooted in exchange. Mm-hmm. I do for you, you do for me. But if you don't do for me, I don't do for you. But if it's funny, if you look at Scripture, the word respect is nowhere written in Scripture. Mm-hmm. You can look that up all day till the cows come home. But the word honor is mentioned dozens and dozens of times. So what's the difference? Honor is rooted in position and authority. Um, if you're the police, you're a governor, you're my teacher, you're my boss I maybe don't like, you're my mother, you're my father, that I'm going to honor you no matter what, right? Even if I don't agree with you. Um, honor is based on um, position, it's based on authority, and it says, I give you honor freely just like Christ gave right mm-hmm. so it's 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 not relational currency it's it's honoring in rooted in position that I honor you and even if you don't show me honor return That's I honor you back. anyway yeah I honor you anyway right you know there's a time when I was an elder in a church and they taught us from a John Sanford and his wife I think it was called Elijah house uh, 24 week 26 week course on understanding things you could help people with, 24 different problems that you were likely to encounter. At the end of the whole 26 weeks, they said the most important thing you've got to remember in everything you're doing is the scripture that says, honor your father and mother. Mm-hmm. And it comes things, with a promise. Yeah. And so it will go well with you in your life. That's right. And we've trashed that many times, but that's a foundational principle of living. Yeah. Okay, what religion you are or where you're coming from, if you honor your father and mother, it will go well with you in your life. That's a scriptural principle that, that's uh, time tested and it's it, it's never going to change. No, it, I think, and and I'm, I don't I want to make sure I'm transparent too. You know, growing up um, uh, in a in a you know 
a tough house. There was, uh, yeah, I was young. I kind of was kind of like the pastor's kid, even though I didn't have a family, a dad that was a pastor, and went through that rebellious phase. Um, and there was no excuses for it. it. It's I came from great parents, good stock, was raised right, but just became kind of that rebel that wanted to do what they wanted as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And that created this division that lasted well into my 20s and 30s where my parents and I didn't talk until somebody got a hold of me and said, honoring your mother and father is rooted with a promise. It's mm-hmm. the only of the, of, the, of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise. And, and it's taken me that journey to get back to saying that I'm going to honor regardless if I don't like the response or the outcome mm-hmm. um, because they're my mother and father, and I'd love them not for what they do or what they're not doing, but for who they are. Just for who they are. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sure you've taught that with your children. Absolutely. I think that the word honor is a word that is not used as much as we should be using it nowadays in society. I think are our, our those that serve our military, I think they understand that one pretty well. Yeah. But I think that's something that uh, we have opportunity as parents and as leaders. Sometimes a parent can feel it's self-serving to tell their children, that's right. hey, you better honor me, you know, so I'll go well with you in your life. But the truth is, right, and said in the right way, I love you so much, I want it to go well with your life, so I want you to honor me for your sake. Uh, no, uh, uh, an embarrassing story about me real quick was that um, our, our, our 10-year-old overheard a, 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 a spirited discussion between mommy and daddy in the living room, a fancy way of saying mommy and daddy were having a fight. And he heard my tone wasn't very forgiving um, mm-hmm. to uh, my wife, embarrassed as it is to admit. Mm-hmm. And he came uh, into the room, uh, this is a 10-year-old little boy, and looked at me and said, daddy, we, we, you can't ever talk to mommy that way. Yeah. And... I looked at him and I said, you are absolutely right. And I gave him the Japanese bow because I, was sh- I wanted to show him honor because he was rebuking me gently with honor, but he was right. The greatest thing that I've ever done to teach my children is to admit to them that I was wrong. Yep. And when they see your, their father admitting that he's wrong, it really goes a long well for them to accept you. It, it, yep, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris, we were just talking about the subject of a parent, or specifically a father, mm-hmm. um, admitting to his children or a child, something happens, one of his children or any of his children is talking to him that he's wrong. He made a mistake. And making a mistake is one thing because you're confessing or agreeing. The word confession means you agree that it was wrong. Yep. And you could actually take a further step beyond confessing that it's wrong to actually apologizing what was wrong. And culturally, that's a, that's a hard thing for a lot of the different generations much, to swallow. Very much. And a lot of times it's rooted generationally. Um, I think a lot of times it's rooted in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love my, my mother, and, and I will never dishonor my mom and dad, but, I, you know, in Japanese culture can be tough sometimes, you know, because sure. it's very stoic, it's very honor, and mm-hmm. must, you know, save face. Mm-hmm. So apologizing can be hard. When we say sorry to somebody, the word apologizing to somebody, what it means is I want to restore what was broken. Mm-hmm. That's what an apology is. And I think that sometimes as parents, too, we have to be able to teach our children that it's okay for mom and dad to apologize. Um, and I think that's the biggest part is that when we apologize and we're quick to apologize, as Paul tells us, be quick to apologize, it means I want to be quick to restoring what was broken. 
-hmm. And I think we have to teach people how to apologize. So one of the things that we, we give our little boys is, daddy was wrong, I'm sorry, how can I make it right? Mm -hmm. That simple statement, That's I was true. wrong, how do I make it right? How do I make it better? And I think that we have to teach kids and teach each other how do you apologize to somebody where you don't feel awkward about it and you got to continue to practice and can practice on it. How about the issue of feeling sorry? Because sometimes I say to my wife, mm. it's just, tell me, your, you know, apologize to me for what you did. So I'm like, okay, I apologize. Well, it doesn't sound like you're being sorry. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, feeling sorry and being sorry are two things. Feeling sorry is rooted, and both of them are rooted in identity. Mm -hmm. When my identity of knowing whose I am, my who determines my what. My who will determine what I do. If I know that I, who I am, who I belong to, I am woefully, fearfully, wonderfully made by a holy, loving, righteous Father, I can stand on that as an anchor. Feeling sorry and being sorry are two different things. I don't need to feel sorry for myself because that's enemy condemnation. Sure. The enemy will whisper in your mind what you're not. Mm -hmm. The Father won't whisper something of what you're not. He'll say, you're a good parent. Mm -hmm. You're wonderfully made. You're my son. But do you think that you were talking to your wife or your son the right way just now. Mm -hmm. He'll ask it in a question that's not condemning, right? And that's mm -hmm. the difference, I think, between feeling sorry and being sorry. Because oftentimes you're not feeling sorry. But you know that your your decision, you're making a decision to be sorry. Yeah. It's like forgiving. You may not want to feel like you're forgiving somebody, but you know you're making a choice to forgive somebody. Yep, but we also know feeling talk is bad. We have to be... Right. A lot of people uh, in, in, in today's society is all about... Um, Feelings. <laughs> feel, man, you got to, you know, uh, 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 follow your heart. Wrong. <laughs> Lead and guard your heart. Don't follow your heart. Following your heart is following feelings. And when you follow feelings... That will lead your life, your marriage into a ditch real quick if you just follow. I'm not saying you don't need to live life, but you need to lead and guard your heart, not follow feelings or follow your heart. Because, you know, there's fidelity and infidelity. Fidelity is boring. Waking up every day, doing the same thing every day. Fidelity can be boring. Infidelity is fun, whether it's infidelity in a marriage situation. Mm -hmm. We feel that it's okay. Or drinking or drug, whatever that situation is. Fidelity is waking up, wash, rinse, repeat. But we know that fidelity, it's where we grow in our capacity uh, in Christ when we're doing the things that we need to be doing every day, day in, day out. I think that's the key, mm -hmm. is knowing how to walk it out. You're leading into something else. We were, you're talking about feelings. When your feelings, it, the soul is composed of our mind, our will, and our emotions. Yeah, yeah. And yet Scripture very clearly tells us to live our lives spirit first. Walk by faith, not by sight walk out of the spirit being of who we are, not out of our soul. And yet yeah. our world teaches us to live out of our soul. That's right. And, well, and mostly and, from the feeling. And I think to your point, Tom, what it also is about is being, if you're spirit fed, you're spirit led, right? Mm -hmm. It's your input determines your output. My wife and I have been having this conversation recently that what are we watching, right? And, and what are the things that is our input? What are we watching? What are we listening to? Show me what you're reading. Show me what you're watching. And show me who's your inner circle of friends, and I can mm -hmm. predict your future, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're going to be defined five years from now by the things that we watch, the things that we read, and the people that we allow in our inner spheres. So who's in your inner sphere? What are you allowing access to? Mm -hmm. And that's a question that, that, you know, should convict all of us. And being, being you know, humble is not thinking less of yourself 
it's thinking just uh, of yourself less, right? I think that's the key when it comes to really understanding what the difference too also is when you're talking about apologizing, not feeling sorry for yourself, but really mm-hmm. just thinking of yourself less, I think is the most important. Yeah, there's a scripture, as I know you're familiar with, it says, um, know no man after the flesh. And I used to think that that meant, and it does, well, physically, yeah, which it does mean that way. Yeah. But the Lord showed me one time that it means a lot more than just that. It means knowing knowing no one after the flesh means uh, not after the things that are selfish in your your perspective out of your own soul, mm-hmm. but understand them on a spirit level. Okay. See that other person as I see them. Right. Not as your flesh sees them. Yep. So, and it's a whole different perspective, a whole different view of what that person is. So uh, if I encounter somebody on the street or I'm talking about, I'm not supposed to look at them after my own soulish desires, my own filter through which I see them, which is a flesh filter, yep. but see them through a spiritual filter. See them yep. as God sees them. And that's a completely different way of, of looking at a person. And the way that we look at ourselves <laughs> and what we've experienced, you know, we talked earlier about fathers and our parents. Mm-hmm. Our, sometimes our, it's hard for us to have a, a, a loving relationship with our Heavenly Father because of what we've experienced with an earthly father. Clearly. clearly right? Right. People have had tough, difficult things that you know, we can't even begin to understand. And, and sometimes that can taint our view of how can our earthly father love me that much, right? Mm-hmm. Not knowing that there's nothing we've done that'll have him love us less, right? Nothing more we can do that'll have him love us any more than he does right now. But sometimes it can be tough when your earthly father maybe wasn't the father that maybe that person should have been. That how can I understand what my heavenly father is? And what we can stand on is our heavenly father's character is, is perfect. It's loving. It's caring. He wants a relationship with us, right? Mm-hmm. So much so he's willing to give up his only son, right, for us. So we must be worth a, a lot mm-hmm. if, if, if when you think through that, the, that lens. Um, but I think the other piece of it is also understanding that I sometimes can't trust that God is in my situation. What do you do when the God you read about in Scripture or hear about isn't what's showing up in your life? And so if we struggle with what our Heavenly Father is, what we can stand on is, I may not think that God's hand is in it, but what I can do is I can trust His heart Mm -hmm. because His heart is perfect. So if I can't trust His hand is in my situation, I can trust His heart is good because He is nothing but good and can't be anything but perfectly good. That's incumbent upon us to understand the heart of God. That's right. Which is what this whole show is about, is connecting to the heart of God because you have to understand His heart in order to appreciate what He's doing for you Absolutely. and with you. And you know, that, that interaction that goes on uh, between us and Him and between us and other people. You started to mention before about fathers that are a lot of fathers out there, natural fathers, that are bad fathers, bad actors. I mean, bad actors in the sense that they're, um, I wouldn't necessarily call them evil, although Scripture actually calls them evil because the word evil means not that which is not right. Mm-hmm. And so they may not be that which is that right. In other words, they may be in bondage. They may be into drugs. They may be into alcohol. They're maybe into, they may be a sex addict. They, all sorts of things have happened to human beings yep. who are men, who happen to be biologically sired children. Yep. And these, these men who are biologically fa- sired children are, ti- enti- are titled fathers, but they don't really have a father's heart in the sense of God the Father's heart. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to teach that to his children. They may not know the scripture. And even if they do know the scripture, their knowledge of the scripture is head knowledge. 
Yep. And it's not experiential knowledge. They don't know the heart of God. So how can they communicate that to you? Yeah, I think it. It. I met with a, a woman one time uh, where you know, she had just given her life to Christ. Um, she, uh, I remember, you know, we were praying uh, with her uh, that she had just, you know, gave her life to Christ in that morning service, and then she started talking about the abuse that she dealt with with her dad, and that she was struggling with forgiving him, even though how can I be forgiven? And I remember looking at her and said, I can't put myself in your shoes of what you experienced at his hands. Um, there are consequences for what we do, mm-hmm. um, but what I think that might be a way for you to start walking that path to have freedom in yourself um, is and forgiveness, because carrying around unforgiveness towards somebody else is, is like me drinking poison and expecting them to get hurt. Right. It, it, it's, and, I, and I let her know that I think that your dad probably was doing the best where he was at. I'm not saying he was doing his best, where he was at. And when we can start to th- have that thought process, it helps us to get on that road of, okay, whenever I've been bad, I was doing the best where I was at. I wasn't doing my best, but where I was at, right? And that can lead me on a path of trying to figure out how can I show forgiveness to that person, even if they don't deserve it. Now, there could be consequences. and may never be in my life ever again because of the things that they've done. Sure. But I can have forgiveness so I can put down that bag of bri- bricks that I'm carrying around of unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes when we come to the realization of the devil really had my father in his traps and really was, he, he was uh, affected by that. And, and it also is an expression that's hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad may yep. have been hurting, a really hurting person. And he turned around and hurt me because he was reacting to the hurt that he was feeling himself. Yep. And we I, don't always I, see that when we're a We child. don't. And... We don't, and I think the tension, Tom, that we manage and what you're also talking about, too, is um, the enemy is real, right? Um, he's not walking around in, in, in red pajamas and a pitchfork. Um, the best thing he ever did was help us to and society to think that he doesn't exist. Um, and I think sometimes, so we have to believe that he is real because there is inherent evil, right? But we also have to make sure that we manage, again, manage the tension that we give the enemy sometimes too much credit because of our choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, does the enemy present options, but we're the ones that make the choices. So I think a lot of times, oh, the devil made me do it. Yeah, but I think you made some bad choices along the way too. Like sometimes we give the devil a little bit too much credit for some of the bad choices. So I think that's another tension that we manage, right? Is that we have to own, choose the behavior, choose the consequence. Yeah. You know, one of the things in scripture that's always speak, spoke out to me was when Philip asked Jesus to show, him the, show us the Father. When are you going to show us the Father? And Jesus responds, Philip, how long, how long have I been with you when I've shown you? I and the Father are one. And I asked God the question, Father, the question is, why did Philip ever ask that question? And he said, because he was taught by the rabbis and the Pharisees that I was Lord God. He was never taught that I was a father. Mm-hmm. And that, that differential between Jesus showed in the Father. Yeah. He showed in the Father's heart. That's right. Not just Lord. He was Lord God. Yep. There was judgment that's there, but he's also the Father. Yep. We need to come to that place where we understand his heart as being a father. And that's why um, I think as we do that, our life changes. That's and right. We're, we're looking for businesses that look at our father's hearts and uh, family-owned businesses. Chris, a little while ago you were telling me a story offline 
about uh, your wife, Shauna, yep. and an experience that she had. Uh, fortunately, that she escaped, uh, but it was a, a instance that happened probably 34 years ago mm-hmm. that um, was leading into a potential uh, child trafficking situation, mm-hmm. uh, kidnapping, yep. abduction, all those things that uh, the world doesn't want to uh, acknowledge exists. Mm-hmm. So share with our audience a little bit what happened with Shauna. Yeah, so my wife and I, we grew up, we both grew up in Los Angeles. We grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, and and we both uh, lived across the street from each other twice, uh, mm-hmm. even though we were five years apart and didn't even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the neighbor, you know, growing up in, in L.A., we I'm not going to present that at the time that we we both lived in the, the, the worst of neighborhoods, but... We, you know, but it was a good neighborhood. But I think th- this particular time, you know, I think my wife was living on a side of town, uh, a little bit rougher at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, um, her mother was a, a, a single mom trying to just make ends meet, and um, Shauna was walking uh, along after school one time, and literally, kind of like what you see out of a movie. Thankfully, that she had a, a, an angel with her. God was with her. She had this situational awareness because she looked out of the, of the corner of her eye, and a, a big white cargo van was pulling up and had this, the, the, the door slid open, and a group of men uh, tried to grab her. Mm. And she just barely missed it and then just saw it out of the corner of her eye and ended up taking off uh, through the, uh, the neighborhood and got back to her mom's house. Um, and just, you, you know, you just start to think that, you know, thank goodness, you know, God had me there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that story, you know, uh, you know, those are the, any, you're going to see it, those kind of stories can happen anywhere. It doesn't have to be LA. Like some sure. people are like, Oh, I live in North Carolina. Well, no, North Carolina has got some secrets around that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that what that did for, for me as a dad hearing that and for her as a parent is we try to make sure that we we give our boys, um, awareness of things like um, they're not allowed to walk in the street uh, with headphones on. Mm-hmm. It sounds silly. It sounds you know small, but we're not trying to, to me, treat, we're trying silly. to teach them. Because yeah. what if she had had headphones on? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a Walkman on during that yeah. time. You know, she wouldn't have been able to hear. So we try to teach our boys mm-hmm. street situational awareness uh, mm-hmm. of where they're at. Are they too far away from mom and dad? But True story, though, that uh, thankfully, you know, she was protected by God. My wife and I have seen the movie uh, Sound of Freedom twice. And uh, in that movie, there are excerpts of the movie which show real-life situations. And the situation you just described actually is some of the scenes in that movie. Okay. The white drop coming by, somebody comes, another scene was like a motorcycle drove by and they pull this kid out. Um, And... uh, Child trafficking is a is a um, very real thing, um, and it's a very um, hidden thing mm-hmm. so much in terms of our society. Mm-hmm. There have been some reports have been saying it's actually exceeding uh, drug trafficking in terms of the revenue being produced by it. So it's it's very serious and it's very much bigger, as far as I can understand, uh, statistically speaking. Even though these things happened many years ago, yep. it's gotten much much worse in recent times. Yep. Especially in our own, in the city that we live in, right? Mm-hmm. We're Charlotte, North Carolina. It's one of the top 10 uh, largest uh, human trafficking cities in the United States. Um, yeah. But everybody's moving here. It's a beautiful place to live. Um, but it also happens, you know, every, those situations aren't also because somebody rolled up in a white truck. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes it, it's, it's the things that you don't expect, right? We, there was, uh, when you see so many times at the park um, where, where kidnappers like to show up, they like to show up at carnivals. 
They love to show up at truck stops. Those are high, high target areas. Um, and one of those things is being aware as a parent. So parents, um, stay off your phones when you're with your kids out in public. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a movie with Halle Berry that was a, a situation where she was on her phone at a park and turned away for three seconds and her child walked off with this uh, woman that looked like a mom mm-hmm. that was like, hey, your mom wants me to come get you. And this mm-hmm. woman looked like she was like from, you know, like a PTA mom. Right. But she was being used to lure this child into the kidnapper's park uh, car away from the, the mother. It's those kind of situations, too, being aware of get off your phone, stay aware, um, keep your kids close. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my grandmother, uh, she lived to be 101 years old, but she grew up uh, during the times of the, the World War II and a Great Depression. And she, I remember, uh, was not... The, ty- the typical grandma that said, when I was your age, you know, we just let our kids do whatever. She was kind of a progressive grandma. Mm-hmm. And I remember her teaching uh, all of us, uh, you know, when we were younger, my cousins and I, is um, making sure that you're aware of where your mom and dad is. Um, and then when we had kids of our own, she would always drill into our heads, Christopher, keep your kid close. There is no such thing as being too paranoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and because she grew up during the time of the Lindenburg kidnapping, uh, mm-hmm. a, a child that was kidnapped that was all over the news, and it was just such a big deal that happened during her time, and it left an impression on her, and she passed down, right? So we, we she passed that down to us generationally to keep your kids close, Christopher. There's no such thing as keeping your kids too close. Check on them multiple times. Check the doors 10 times. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, those kind of things. You know, in... Uh... People don't like to talk about it that much because you think about, they don't want to think about how evil, evil is. That's right. And the word apocalypse means um, uncovering. It also means to take the lid off. And we're living in an apocalyptic time in the sense that the lid's being torn off the things. Mm-hmm. There's 800,000 children in America, apparently, that go uh, unaccounted for. Um yeah. Or kidnapped, if you will. Yeah. Um, then there's all sorts of things that are happening which we don't understand why they're happening. I personally think the border is a big issue in this whole area of child trafficking. Mm-hmm. That's what the Sound of Freedom actually brings out, that that is a big issue on the border. Um, why is it that t- children are being trafficked? What's the market for the children? I I think that when you look through... Any kind of scenario, I think it, it really boils down to. I, I hate to say it, so I'm an HR guy. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a leadership nerd, studying leadership all of my most of my life. Um, but I also think that uh, just like you know, as everything you know does rise and fall in good leadership, it also rises on parenting, which is leading. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that is the reason for for child trafficking, but I think that uh, we 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 need. Um, will will the will the real men please stand up? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we need more men in the world, uh, more godly Christian men that step up, um, that get off the couch, put down the sports TV, put down the cell phones, and get out there and engage. I'm not saying that playing sports, watching sports, all that you can't do that. But what I am saying is that there is a huge need for men uh, to really step up to the plate and help to raise. Um, being a parent is to protect, provide, and prepare. Um, we sometimes aren't good at preparing. Um, we sometimes have to allow our children to scrape their knee so they don't break their leg. And so many times we're trying to overly protect instead of exposing them to things that they need to do. 
Um, but I think part of it is leadership and mentoring. Um, and then the other part of it, I think, is situational awareness, awareness of what this movie is bringing to the forefront about having that conversation and continuing the conversation. You know, I was playing pickleball with uh, somebody a week or two ago, a, a group of women, not somebody, a bunch of women. And I said, uh, got on the subject of fatherlessness. And I said, I understand that 85% of the, uh, the, the inner city families uh, are far, or across the country is father, are fatherless. Only 15% have, have uh, fathers and men as fathers present in the household. And one of the women who I could tell was raised in the feminist movement in the 60s said to me, that's a racist comment. I said, racist? She said, where do you get your statistics from? Why would you accuse the, the uh, inner city community of, of 85% fatherless? I said, I can't remember the, where I, my source of it was, but I've read it several times in several different sources. And I'm not trying to you know, accuse them of it. I'm just trying to state a fact to see if there's anything going to be do to help that, right? But I, and I was saddened to hear that their response was coming from that direction. Well, I, I think you're talking about a, a kind of a twofold problem, right? I think that, you know, I grew up in a, in a, in a very, uh, we, you know, a, a good neighborhood, but then I ended up moving to a, a different side of town in Southern California. It was a little bit rougher. And I think that the, the, the issue uh, around is the seat that we sit in determines the perspective that we experience, mm -hmm. right? Um, I grew up um, uh, experiencing, before I moved to California, uh, what racism felt like mm -hmm. to look different. Uh, you know, I was the, the kid who had the, the Asian bowl haircut mm -hmm. and, you know, was, looked a lot more ethnic than I do now. And I remember, you know, first encountering that uh, before we moved to California. Mm -hmm. um, and that perspective determined a lot of what I started realizing in the world. And I think that the, the challenges that we have in, in inner city that we're having and in, in, in what you're seeing play out in the news, um, that I'm glad that uh, some of the awareness that has come into um, that, w that we need to continue the conversation. Um, you and I will never know what it's like of, to be nervous by being pulled over by a police officer at 3 o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. because the seat that we sit in is not the, the same perspective, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's really being able to take the statistics but also leading with um, what is really happening in the street, right? How can we occupy our street? How can we make sure that we're taking it? If Christ was around today, he wouldn't be hanging out at the country club in Cornelius. Right. He'd be down in inner city. He'd be on, the, on different parts of Charlotte um, where the homeless are, where the, the difficulties are, uh, and that's where he would be. And I think that's the opportunity and the challenge that we all have in front of us. Is It's great to hear a message on Sunday, but it's even better when we can walk it out on Monday. You know, uh, particularly as a message for men to stand up to be fathers, and a lot of men feel uncomfortable in that role. That's right. That they really don't know how to be that person. Right. That's right. right. You said in the seat they sit in, right? That's right. But a lot of it starts with just being there, just spending time mm -hmm. with younger people. I mean, people who put trying to put in your life to be a father too, and then also this idea of protecting. There's this child trafficking thing. Uh, is for the absence of fathers standing up. You know, that's one of the reasons why right. Tim Ballard is such a hero to me, where he went beyond his own family to protect uh, two other kids. That uh, And there's, you know, maybe 7,000 kids he worked with. But there's, there's hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands. It almost seems 
overwhelming. Yet yeah. the point yeah. is to take the stand yeah. and, and to be the, the person that uh, God has called people to be mm -hmm. and to press into his heart and to find out in the Father's heart what does God the Father want you to be. It's not a matter of just behaving things a certain way. So come watch us at um, Facebook at papatomstales.com if you missed this uh, show live and listen to our podcast and our video podcast. Thanks, Tom. The Father's Heart. Take care.